You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. Have you guys been enjoying this series, Hot Takes? Yes? I see a lot of notebooks out. I like that. I like that. Are your hearts on fire for Jesus tonight? Isn't he good and worth every bit that we have? He is worth everything that we can give him tonight. Um, And I believe I've got a word for us that's going to grow us, it's going to stretch us, make us a little bit uncomfortable, all the good stuff that is required for growth. Sound good? So I got a hot take tonight. I came tonight to tell somebody and offend somebody by letting them know my hot take right here. I'm going to just come out of the gate with it. Are you ready? Country music is not good music. It, it is music. It is, technically speaking, it is music, all right? But musically and, like, poetically speaking, it's garbage, okay? It's, it's music in the sense that you, you can choose to listen to it. You can choose to listen to it. But you can't say that it's good, okay? I don't care. This is my hot take. I got the mic, okay? I can say whatever I want up here, all right? Jackson would have to come up and tackle me, and he hurt himself doing the Murph the other day. So I'm up here. I'm up here for 45 minutes. I got another hot take for you. It's the summertime, so this is bound to get um, some reaction. The beach is not that fun. Listen, listen. It's muggy, it's humid, it's salty. The ocean hates you. Like you can't drink the water. If it gets in your eyes or a cut, it burns. And maybe you're like, okay, well, I don't like to go swim in the beach. I just like to go to the beach. And it's like, okay, so you like to go on walks that are 43% harder because you're walking on sand. You like to lay, what, on the lumpy ground? You like to be around the the sand that just blows into everything? When you leave a day at the beach, it's like you've been dipped in in sunscreen and and breadcrumbs as you've walked out. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying the beach is, like, bad all, all the time. I just mean, like, I don't understand people that go all the time. Like, I understand going once or twice. The view is great at the beach. It is much better. I understand going to the beach much more than I understand you people that go to the lake, okay? You lake people, I don't get you people, all right? It's like, it's like, hey, what do you do with the lake? It's like, well, you know, we, we, we get the boat out, and then we take the boat out, and we drive around, listen to country music. <laughs> And then, you know, you know we, we tube for a little bit, and then we swim. And it's like, you've seen that water, right? Like, you know, you know why that water's brown. Like, that's fish poop water. Y'all know that? People have been swimming in these lakes for hundreds of years, and there's no outlet. That's why it's called a lake. And just all that water's just been collecting. Mm-mm. Listen, it's 2023. We got pools, people. We got pools. There are better ways to spend your summer. Better ways to spend your summer. A hot take is a statement that's provocative enough that people can't help but weigh in with their thoughts. We saw that tonight. People got opinions. How many of you know that? People got thoughts on stuff. And generally speaking, people think they're right about stuff. In my experience, I found that people think that they are right about 100% of the things that they say. (laughs) They've got an opinion on something and they think that they're right about it. We've been in, this is week three of hot takes. Can anyone tell me what week one was? I wasn't here, so I really don't know. I need somebody to recap for me. Week one, hot takes for dummies. All right. Hopefully somebody got something out of that. Number two, week two, last week. I know this one. I know the answer to this one was last week about tithing. Tithing. That's awesome. The main text for this series has been this, Romans 4, chapter 2 through 5. Let me read this for us, and then we'll, we'll dive in tonight. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Eat your protein. (laughs) Thanks, Lisa. (laughs) This is talking about meat that's been sacrificed to idols. It's not just talking about eating your protein. But you should eat your protein if you want to be strong. It says the weak person eats only vegetables. 
Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. And then underline this. This is what we're aiming for here. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. That's what we're after today. There's lots of opinions out there. This is a confusing world that we live in. Lots of opinions, lots of people that sound right. It's hard to really get a grasp of um, some truths in, you know, however long reels are these days. Like, there's a lot of stuff that gets thrown out there. And how do we know what's truth? How do we sift through um, the, 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 the opinions and the hot takes and, and the, the perspectives of this world? There's so many out there. Our goal is that each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Let me pray for us tonight. Jesus, we love you. And I thank you that you can give us your mind, Lord, that you are a God of truth and that you desire us to know your will even more than you, even more than we want to know your will, Lord. You want us to know it. You want us to grow. Help us to grow tonight to look more like you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. I want to open tonight telling a story of a town in the quiet town of Pipyat, Ukraine. In 1986, there was a, a tragedy that occurred. It all began on April 26 when the Chernobyl nuclear power plant became the stage for a catastrophic event that unleashed an invisible threat upon the land in the Soviet Union. Deep inside the power plant, reactor number four held the potential for a disaster. A perfect storm of design flaws, negligence, and human error set the scene for a calamity that would echo through time. During a routine test, things went horribly wrong. The reactor spun out of control, hurtling towards a catastrophic fate. The explosion that followed ripped through the plant, causing utter chaos. The reactor's roof disintegrated immediately, spewing out a furious blaze into the sky. But the real danger lay in something unseen, the presence of radiation. The toxic plume infused with the radioactive materials spread through the air carried by the wind to distant corners of the country. The immediate area, including the once vibrant town of Pipyat, turned into a haunting wasteland forever marked by the unseen contamination. The immediate impact was horrifying. The emergency responders called the liquidators faced intense levels of radiation as they fought the flames and tried to contain the damage. Many paid the ultimate price to coming to acute radiation sickness and dying. The people of Pripyat and the surrounding regions were not spared either. They were forced to leave their homes and communities immediately. The town, once full of life, became a ghostly reminder of the havoc caused by this invisible threat. But the effects of radiation did not dissipate with the evacuation. It seeped into the land, the air, the water, leaving an undelible mark on the environment. The soil, once fertile and alive, turned toxic, unable to support plant animal life. The ripple effect disrupted the delicate balance of nature, forever changing the landscape. The more affected areas of the city will not be habitable for 20,000 years. Human health bore the, the brunt of the long-term consequences. Cancer rates, especially thyroid cancer, skyrocketed among, among the affected region. The impact on future generations was a haunting legacy. Genetic mutations caused by radiation cast a somber shadow over the hopes and dreams of those born in the aftermath of Chernobyl. The scars of the disaster stretched across time, a painful reminder of the dangers posed by unchecked power and human mistakes. I've actually got a picture of what this town looks like now. So overnight, this town went from someplace that was vibrant. It was a small town um, that was vibrant, had, had an amusement park in it, had a grocery store in it, had apartment buildings, had schools. And overnight, because of this accident, this reactor exploding, the entire town had to evacuate and had to leave. And this threat called radiation was then seeping out. And, and, and if you read any biographies or watch any documentaries on this story, what's interesting is that one of the reasons why this became such a big disaster is because they weren't super familiar with how to handle radioactive materials and nuclear waste. So one of the things about radiation is that you can't see it. Like you can't necessarily immediately tell that it's affecting you. But if you stay too long in an affected area, it, it has a consequence on the inside of your body that's irreversible and it's going to lead you to death in many ways sin is similar sin is mysterious it boasts being safe others will tell you it's not dangerous that its only effect is pleasure and enjoyment all the while exacting a death-like effect on the mind and the soul just like cancer can pass unnoticed on the skin 
Sin can hide its damage. But left unchecked, untreated, it decays, it destroys, it mutates. Sin turns our insides, our thoughts, our desires, our dreams, our loves into something unnatural and unintended by our creator, which eventually spreads to the outside. Many people will try to hide their sin. They'll try to protect it. They'll try to nurture it. But by isolating it from being discovered by others, we incubate it to grow and become more deadly until it exacts a consequence we didn't intend to happen, a price we didn't want to pay. So tonight, I want to talk about sin. <laughs> you glad you came to students tonight? Yeah. I want to talk about sin tonight, because there's a lot of opinions on sin. There's people who think that you can't sin. There's people that think that, th that, that sin is only the really, really, really bad stuff. There's a lot of misinformation, a lot of bad opinions, a lot of bad advice on sin. And sin is dangerous. Sin wants to destroy you. Sin has the ability to totally sidetrack your life and rob you of joy. God the Father loves us. And in his word, he's given us some, some parameters that keep us in the safety of his love. So sin, sin. I've got a couple hot takes for us tonight. I think a lot of the questions that we wrestle with when we're growing in our faith revolve around sin. Like, what's okay for me to do? Like, what, what, what makes one thing a sin and another thing not a sin? Like, now that I've given my life to Jesus, what do I have to give up? Like, does, does following Jesus mean that I can't do, can't do X, Y, and Z anymore? What, what does it mean to follow? Can, can I do these things and still be a Christian? What about those people that profess to be Christians, but they do these things? Like, what do I do about this sin stuff? How do I know? And I think one of the hot takes, there, there's, there's a few different perspectives that I kind of want to dismantle tonight. Um, that, I, that I hear going around that I think are really damaging, okay? So the first one is this, this filter to kind of figure out what sin is and isn't, okay, is this. It's only a sin if it says so in the Bible. It's only a sin if it says so in the Bible. You ever heard that before? And on the surface, this seems like a decent way to live your life. Like, if the Bible says something's wrong, it, then don't do it, right? Makes sense, right? Murder, I'm glad that that's a rule. Like, we shouldn't do that. I'm glad I didn't worry about coming into students tonight and one of you guys coming up to me without any consequences and throwing something at me to assault me. Like, that's wrong, right? These, these things are bad. Murder, can we all agree? Murder is a bad thing, okay? But what about the things, if it doesn't, if the Bible doesn't explicitly say don't do that, then it's probably okay to do. You've got a free pass. And on the surface, that seems like an okay way to live your life, an okay filter. The problem with that, though, is that it really is a immature rule for your life because we're going to get into more of this later, but essentially the approach, to <clears throat> the approach to discovering the will of God for your life, if you, if you apply this filter to it, all that you're doing is trying to figure out how uh, a loophole to live however you want and do whatever you want to do. The Bible was written thousands of years ago. Like, there's going to be stuff that we face today that isn't written in the Bible. Like, think about it. Like, the Bible was written, Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago, they didn't have the internet. Like they didn't have Xbox. They didn't have any of the stuff that we have today. There's a good chance that there's some things that, that are wrong for us to do but aren't explicitly stated in the Bible, okay? And, and we're gonna get into this later, but I believe that there are some principles and some, some things because God is good and his word is perfect that he's placed in that can guide um, our, our, our discovery to what the will of God is for our lives. Another reason why I don't like this approach is because I feel like it's backwards. Um, I think it's asking the question, how far is too far, to see how close to sin you can get without it being a sin. So it's like, I can do this, and I can do this, and I can do this. But as long as I stay away from this, like, I'm good. And here's the problem with that. Sin is dangerous, all right? God's not a prude. Listen, God's not a prude. God wants you to have fun. God's not trying to steal your joy. God's not trying to steal anything from you. He's not trying to steal good times from you. None of that. God is a good father who wants to protect you. Remember, sin is like radiation. And, 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 and living your life this way of how close can I get to sin without being a sin is kind of like after the Chernobyl disaster, they set up a 1,000 square foot kind of um, uh, air, like safe zone around the city where like you couldn't go into that without getting sick. It would be like building your house right on the border of that. Like you wouldn't do that. You would run as far away from that as possible. So th th this particular strategy doesn't work out, okay? Another hot take on sin that I hear is this. I ask for forgiveness, not for permission. You ever heard this one before? 
which is essentially to say this. Listen, Jesus took all my sin. God's good. He's going to forgive me. I can kind of do whatever I want because I know that if I pray, he's faithful to forgive. I know the verse. He's faithful to forgive if I repent. And Jesus took all my sin away. Listen, this isn't a new way to think. Paul actually writes about this to the church in Rome, in Romans 6, chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 2. He says this, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Following Jesus means that you've died to sin, you've died to the flesh, so that you can let Jesus lead your life. It means that you're surrendered. Another hot take is this. Jesus said not to judge, just to love. This is a really popular belief today. Well, Jesus is just about love. He said all you have to do is love God and love your neighbor, right? Anyone here this weekend heard Pastor Josh preach that message, use that verse? All Jesus said was you just got to love God and love people. And as, as long as it's love, like as long as it's not hurting anybody, then it's not sin. All, all this stuff that the Bible says is sin was just culturally sin at the time. But we're more sophisticated now. Now we know better, and so we can take the principles that Jesus was trying to say about loving people and being kind and not being judgmental and not applying judgment to others, which Jesus didn't say, by the way. Jesus didn't say not to judge, by the way. He didn't say that. He, how we treat people is, is, is we need to treat people like Jesus did, but he didn't say not to judge. We actually judge all the time, not in a malicious way, but we make decisions about what's good and bad to in, allow inside of our lives. But... This approach of like, God is just love, and as long as it's love, it's good. And here's what this person is trying to do that's using this approach. This person is trying to fit God down to what society believes. Because here's what some Christians do, and they really wrestle with it, and I understand because it comes from a good place, is that we live in this world where we want to bring the gospel of Jesus. Like, we want to bring Jesus to our friends, and we want to bring Jesus to the people that are around us. And the world is so hostile to this gospel of Jesus. And so what we've done is we've softened the blow of the cross. And we've gone, okay, listen, you, you don't have to just give up everything in your life. You just have to believe in Jesus. And then, and then what we do is, since, since we can't get the world to fit into the mold of God, what we do is we try to get God to fit into the mold of the world. And here's the problem with that is those are not combat, compatible. 1 John 2.15 says this. And this would be a good one for you to memorize this summer. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Okay, pause. Here's what this means. It means that when you try to love the world this way, where you, you subtract from the truth of God's word and the standard of God's word in order to be able to get close to people so that they'll receive love and they'll receive the gospel, okay? What you end up doing is you end up not loving them with the love of the Father. Because the love of the Father always wants to draw people back to repentance in Him. There is only one way into relationship with God, and that's through Jesus. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Why? Because God is holy, okay? God is holy. It's not that we're just like this far away from God, it's that we are like a million miles away from God. And God knows that God can't come down in his holiness, but he can send Jesus to come and be a substitution so that we can be made holy through him. But that requires, that requires submission, that requires repentance, and that requires dying to yourself. So you can't, what this verse is saying is that when you go and attempt to love the world with this all-accepting kind of love, you actually aren't loving it with the love of the Father. It says that the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Do you know what the fastest growing, most popular religion in America is today? Can you guess? It's not, uh, it's not atheism. It's not Islam. It's not Christianity. It's a form of philosophy called secularism. Secularism. Secularism says that all the religions in the world are technically right because all the religions in the world exist to teach us how to live ethically and to grow to be a better person. So what they're saying is all the religions are good because what, they, what religion has existed for is to make us into a better person so that we can have a better society. There's an agreed upon set of rules 
and standards that we agree to as a, as a society. Like, for instance, stealing, murder, cheating on your significant other, lying, not all cool. And, and those laws all exist so that we can create a better society. If you think about it, all those sins that everyone agrees on are really just a product of logic. Like, what kind of world would it be in if I could go on a walk with my dog in the morning and someone could just run me over their car just because they felt like it? Like, it would be anarchy, right? Like, what kind of world would we live in if you could just, like, go into a gas station, steal whatever you wanted, and walk back out? No consequences. Like, there are rules. We have to have rules in a society. So what secularism says is you can have your truth, you can have your ideas, you you can have your lifestyle, you can have your God, as long as they don't interfere or contradict with my life. You can have your little thing with Jesus, but keep him at home, unless you bring the all-accepting Jesus. If you bring the all-accepting Jesus, we like him, he can come. But don't bring that holy Jesus that tells me that if I love the world, then I hate God. We just want the accepting Jesus. Listen, I wanna share this with you tonight because I feel like it's important to change our perspective. There once was a time, not that long ago, where culture, the culture of church and the culture of the world ran parallel, okay? So what it meant to follow Jesus, what it looked like to follow Jesus, and what it looked like to live in Edmond, Oklahoma, just as a regular person, ran parallel. The values, the truths, the ethics, what we believed, all these things ran parallel, okay? That is no longer the case anymore. Now we live at a time where the things, the, the, the ethic of culture and the belief of culture and the belief of following Jesus contradict each other. And I'm actually happy about this. Here's why. Because you got to choose. You can't really live kind of half in, half out. You got to make a decision. Like, am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to follow the world? I don't like this half in, half out thing. I like the fact that it's like, okay, I'm going to have to make a decision. And this decision is going to cost me. This decision is going to cost me friends. This decision is going to cost me followers. This decision is going to cost me relationships. But I have to make a decision based on what I know is true. We're in the middle right now of a war. And the war isn't for our parents. It's not for our grandparents. We are at the front lines of this war. Those of us that have grown up in the time of the internet, which is me, believe it or not. I was born right at the beginning of the internet. I actually remember what it was like um, to not have like social media. And then I remember at like junior high age is when things rapidly began to pick up. So I remember both. I remember having a MySpace. You guys ever heard of MySpace before? MySpace was wild, y'all. You ranked your friends. So you like, you had a page and then you ranked them. I want you to think about like your five closest friends right now. And then I want you to think about having to put them in order of who you liked the most. It, it got dramatic, y'all, it got dramatic. You picked a theme song for your page. Mine was Jesus Freak. You know, whoa, people think that I'm Jesus Freak. No, no, that song, it's a good song. MySpace, then came Facebook, then came uh, Instagram, then came Snapchat, then came TikTok, and all these things kind of rapidly happened at the, uh, very quickly. I remember the first couple games that you could get on Xbox that you could play with, like, your friends. And uh, internet, my Wi-Fi was so slow um, that I ran a 50-foot Ethernet cable from my router downstairs all the way up the stairs to the back of my Xbox 360 so I could play Call of Duty Modern Warfare with my friends, and no one else could be on the internet. Like, if my mom got on the internet, I'd be yelling downstairs, being like, Mom, get off the internet. I'm lagging. I'm right now in Team Deathmatch right now. We're about to win. I need you to get off. And so I'd play video games late at night. And so I remember what it was like for all this stuff to happen very quickly. And here was the biggest shift that took place. Now I understand what the war is for. Here's the biggest shift that took place, okay? Because the war that is being fought right now is, is not for a specific belief. The war that's being fought right now is a way of thinking. It's a way of thinking. Because I want you to think about it. Now, what, what used to happen is you used to be like our parents. Our parents were discipled by those that were closest to them, by their parents. They were discipled by their teachers, by their youth leaders. We, on the other hand, are being discipled by companies and movements and influencers and belief systems. And we're being, and, and, and it, arguably, a cell phone is a better discipling tool than a youth leader because a cell phone can stay with you all the time. So here's what's dangerous about this, is that slowly over time, and I've seen this happen to a lot of my friends, slowly over time, piece by piece, push by push, we begin to be shifted in our thinking. 
we begin to be desensitized to things that, that, that would have grieved our spirit as sons and daughters of Jesus. But we've slowly been indoctrinated to now, now things don't sting as much and now things don't, don't mess with us as much. And now all of a sudden we look up and this ethic that our life is ruled by looks nothing like Jesus. The goal of this world is not to suppress Christianity or Jesus. It's simply to edit it. To allow another version of it to come to the surface. And it's the same war it's always been. Did you know that the early church, um, when they were being persecuted and executed under the Roman government, um, in the early church, uh, the Romans were super tolerant of other religions. Did you know this? I didn't know this. I read a book a couple months ago about this, about the early church. The Roman government was actually super tolerant of other religions. It was very similar to the culture that we live in today. And when they, would, uh, when they brought in Christians to persecute them and kill them, their issue wasn't that they were worshiping Jesus. Their issue was that at a fundamental level, what it means to be a Christian is to place an allegiance to Jesus above everything else, including Caesar. So that's what the Romans had a problem with. It wasn't that they worshiped Jesus. It's that their allegiance was to Jesus over Caesar. And so a lot of these Christians, I want you to imagine this with me, all right? A lot of these Christians get brought in and rounded up. And right before they're about to get fed to lions, think about how crazy that would be. Like, that's some serious stuff, okay? You get fed to a lion, you get burned at the stake, you get nailed to the cross, you get boiled. Okay, there's, <laughs> we've got it okay, y'all. Listen, if you, see, if you see someone talk about being persecuted for their faith, we're okay. We've got some space. We've got some wiggle room before it starts getting crazy, okay? So right before those moments, right before that moment, so the, right in front of you is this incredibly painful experience, okay? They get given the opportunity to deny that Jesus is above Caesar. That's it. Just to vocalize that. It's not that they can't go back and worship God. It's just that they have to say that they worship Caesar over Jesus, and yet they won't do it. That, that's, that's the same play that's being played at today. It's that, listen, you can worship Jesus, that's fine, but you need to put the ideology of the culture above your relationship with the Lord. You need to put your place in society, your behavior your behavior and how you see the world, you need to put that above the, your relationship with Jesus needs to be secondary. First, you need to be a member of this culture, a member of this society. Secondary, you can have your Christian values. Does that make sense what I'm saying? That's what the world hopes to produce in this generation, in my generation, in your generation. It's a toothless version of Christianity that preaches unconditional love and acceptance, but fails to have any power to actually save. It's a toothless faith. If it doesn't cost me anything, like if it doesn't cost us anything, the word says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, okay? That's the mark of a, a saved life. I've been crucified with Christ. I'm dead. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If I haven't changed anything about my life, have I died? If none of my old thought patterns and none of my beliefs have died, and I'm exactly the same person, and I look exactly and think exactly like everybody else, has anything taken place in me? No. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This gospel requires death. And Jesus paid the physical death for us so that we can pay the spiritual death and we can lay down our lives, our beliefs, in submission to him. Listen, I, I pray this becomes a foundational belief for us. Jesus did not come to make you a good person. Let me just free you of that right now. Jesus did not come to make you a more ethical person, to make you more likable by other people. That's not why Jesus came. One of the foundational beliefs of Christianity, as followers of Jesus, is that it's, it's precisely because we can't be good that Jesus had to come. It's, it's through the process of sanctification, which is the working out of our salvation, which is the ridding of ourselves of the fleshly desires and the worldly beliefs that we've adopted in exchange for the truths of Jesus's teachings in God's words. It's through that that we start to behave not like a good person, not like good people, but like sons and daughters of God, disciples, students of Jesus. So 
The problem with these approaches is that they don't actually help us to figure out what the will of God for our lives is. But here's the good news. God is not, listen, lean in. God is not hiding himself from you. God is not hiding his will from you. In fact, God makes it very clear in the Bible how to figure out how he feels about stuff. And luckily for me, Pastor Jackson, three weeks ago, made it really clear for all of us. He did all the heavy lifting. That same three kind of filter process that we use to filter through beliefs, we can apply sin to that. Do you guys remember that? I'm not, I don't have time to go through all of it like extensively. Please go back and listen to the podcast because this is how you should filter through your life. Um, but he gives us three filters to filter beliefs and sin, and we can apply it to sins through. Okay, so the first one is this. How do we know if something is a sin? Let's look at the word of God. Okay, as a believer, the word of God is absolutely true and it's absolutely correct and it is the ultimate authority. It doesn't matter what tradition you've come from. It doesn't matter what changes in the world. It doesn't matter what anybody says. The word of God is our standard, okay? Got it? So first thing we do is we look at the word of God and look what it says. Now, what if something's not specifically mentioned in scripture? Well, then we go to, does anyone remember what the second filter was? The church, that's right. You guys were here. The church, and we look at what, the church in history in general has thought about something, okay? You can also apply this to your small group leaders, to your youth pastors, to me, to our altar ministers on the weekends. Like, come up and ask, like, hey, I've kind of been feeling convicted about this. What do you think about it? Like, it's a safe space. I promise you're not gonna shock us. Like, I promise you're not, all right? Come and ask your questions. And that's one of the things that the church is there for is to support. When you've got questions, there's things that I've gone to Jackson with and been like, hey, man, what do you think about this? Like, how should I, how should I filter this through my life? Because not everything's black and white. Okay, but then what if, like, there is, like, a, a, a few different ways that people look at things? Where do we go then? The Spirit. That's right. We go and we go to the Holy Spirit and we go, Holy Spirit, what are you leading me to do? Now, we never start with the Spirit, right? What do we start with? We always start with the word, okay? Now, I said earlier that there are some things that since the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, there's some things that we kind of struggle with today that aren't specifically mentioned in Scripture, right? Okay, I want to give you three things really quickly today, three like bonus filters, all right? So this would be like filter 1A, all right? So filter 1A, you're trying to figure out if something's a sin, all right? And it's like, okay, is this okay for me to do as a follower of Jesus? One, is it in the Bible? Okay, well... No, because this isn't technically in the Bible, so then you go to section A. Okay, you got it? Here's the first question. Is it illegal? <clears throat> you laugh. You laugh. <clears throat> is it illegal? Is it illegal? Okay, so let's just get this out there. All right. Weed is legalized in Oklahoma. It's not legal for you because you're under 18 years old. So for you, it's off limits. Same with alcohol, same with nicotine products. These things are in your schools. I know they are. My wife's a pediatric nurse, and they had a, a, a six-year-old that, that came home on the bus on the last day of school that one of the teenagers on their bus had given them a weed gummy. And it, the kid was overdosing on it, and the parents couldn't figure out, like, what happened to them. <clears throat> like, this stuff is getting into our schools. Let me just go ahead and just let you know, because there's a lot of people that are going to be like, well, listen, it's legal. You know, not for you. Not for you. Listen, Romans 13, 1 through 2. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinances of who? Who? God. God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. <clears throat> okay, so if it's illegal, boop, you've made the decision, all right? It's already done for you. Those things are off limits, all right? Number two, is it sexually immoral? Let's go. Let's go. In other words, does it involve a sexual desire or action outside of the marriage covenant between a man and a woman? Listen, I know what it's like to be 16 years old. I know what it's like to date in high school. And we get asked this Every youth leader and every youth pastor has been asked this question a million times. Well, how far is too far? Like, is it okay for me and my boyfriend to do blank? Is it okay for me and my girlfriend to do blank? Listen, if it involves a sexual desire or action, then it's off limits to you. None of this, as long as it's not actually sex, then it doesn't count. That's garbage. <laughs> It's garbage. If it's sexual in nature or if it's sexually motivated, meaning 
if the engines are revving, and I know that's like kind of graphic, but like that's going to stick with you. If the engines are revving, then it's off limits. Listen, I was 16 once. Uh, tonight is actually my anniversary. Do you guys know that? And I, I wanted to spend it with you guys. I know. I know. Me and my wife, Kaylee, have been married for nine years. Nine years. Thank you. Nine years, and we dated for two years before that. We were high school sweethearts. And we knew each other since we were really, really young, so I knew all her boyfriends, and they were all super lame compared to me. Um, And she knew all the the girls that I dated. And listen, just please glean from me the wisdom of having walked this out. Because I've been 16 before. I've been 17 before. I've I've been in college and dated before. And I know what it's like to live in the cycle of guilt and shame. I know what it's like to have to continue to come back to the Lord and go, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't want to do this. I'm so sorry, Lord. And deal with this like whole cycle of like reminding yourself that God loves you and, 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 and repenting and, and this struggle of, is God mad at me? All of this. I, I know what it's like to, to walk through this guilt and shame cycle. And I also know nine years in and being married nine years, what it's like to walk in purity in this area of my life. And let me just tell you, the line is way further back than you think. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 28. This is Jesus. This is not me. All right? This is Jesus. He says this, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Here's what this means. Sin starts when the thought begins. That's a lot further back of a line and a boundary than most of us have. Because we're like, well, I just, I don't want to stumble. I don't want to fall off the stage. You know, like if this was the boundary, like if this was the action itself, it's like, I don't want to fall off. It's like Jesus is like, hey, you're in another room. Like that's where the boundary is. Look what it says in, in Proverbs chapter five, verse seven through nine. It says it this way. It says this about the adulterous woman, which is just a symbol here for, it's a picture here for sexual immorality. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to a cruel one. Basically, it's saying this. Sexual immorality isn't just sex itself. It's whatever starts you down the path. And listen, that's not just for people who are dating and in relationships. The games you play, the shows you watch, the accounts you follow, the for your for you page, Does it start you down the sexually instinctive path? And here's what I just want to clear up. Like, you aren't bad for having these feelings. Like, these sexual instincts in you are placed in you for a good reason. Because when you're married, for for a married couple, it pushes you towards intimacy. But it's not time for that yet. So listen, you're not bad for thinking these things. What the problem is, is that you started an instinctual process that's not, you're not supposed to be dealing with until you're married. So just push the line back, push the line back. And I just want to encourage you, like, attack this thing head on. Like, do not mess around with this stuff because once you cross a line, it becomes very difficult to not cross that line again and to not make that thing a new normal. And we've all walked in that before. And listen, there's grace and there's forgiveness. And there, there is, like God loves you. And it's because of his love for you that he's calling out to you and going, listen, put some guardrails up. Put some things up in your life. Like confess this to a leader. Let you know, listen, no relationship is worth this. Not at a high school level. Like listen, I've dated people in high school. I've dated people in college. Listen, nothing is worth, nothing is worth this, pla- this delicate place that you have with God when you know that there's nothing between you and him. This place between God when you're like, there's nothing I gotta hide from God. There's nothing I'm ashamed of. Like there's nothing I'm embarrassed about. I may mess up every once in a while, but like there's nothing in my life that I'm wrestling with and holding with a clenched fist. Like there's nothing that's worth that, 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 that intimacy with the Lord, okay? All right, so that's number two. Number three, am I addicted? Romans 6, 12 says this, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So basically what this comes down to is what you run to for comfort and refuge from life. So have you ever noticed after a hard day or after like an emotionally taxing conversation, you have something that like you kind of want to do to go like 
retreat. You know, maybe it's like chocolate cake. Maybe it's like a place on the couch where you get to watch your shows. Maybe it's some comfy jammies. I don't know what it is for you. Um, but it's, it's places that we run to. There's nothing wrong with those places. Um, but have you ever thought that m- those things might be something that you're addicted to? We think of addiction in the terms of like alcohol and drug. Um, and we think I'm like uh, addicted to like a substance, like a chemical. And most of those addictions actually take place with a chemical in the brain called dopamine. So dopamine is this chemical in your brain that uh, when released, it makes you feel relaxed, makes you feel happy. Um, Actually, one of the reasons why we're dealing with such a a high depression rate right now is because of the intense amounts of dopamine that get released like when you drink energy drinks and whenever you play video games for a long period of time, whenever you're on social media for a long period of time, your brain produces dopamine at such a high level that whenever you're not doing those things, your baseline crashes and you experience like a, a, a depression and you think like, what's wrong with my life? There's nothing wrong with your life. It's just that you've been so overly stimulated with something that your brain can't keep up at normal levels. Isn't that crazy? Okay, so I'm not getting onto video games and social media stuff, but I'm, I'm just saying here, here, here's what I'm asking. Are you running to those things first before you're running to God? Because if you're running to those things first before you're running to God, then that thing has become a stronghold for you. The Bible talks about strongholds. Strongholds are like castles, all right? So think of like an old medieval castle, all right? A stronghold is a place that you run to because you feel safe. It's a place that you go to after a tough day. And there's nothing wrong with like, you know, you can get dopamine hits from like snuggling your dog, listening to music. Like there's nothing wrong with these things. My question is though, are you running to these things before you're running to Jesus? Because Jesus is the only stronghold that's, everything else is just like a mental um, wall that we put up and like it's like a safety net that we, we lie down in. But at the end of the day, all those things will fail you. The only thing that's not gonna fail you is Jesus. So there's gonna come times in your life when you're gonna struggle and wrestle with things that the Holy Spirit's like, hey, I want you to lay this thing down and you're gonna argue with him. Like, listen, mark this day and you're gonna be like, David told me about it, all right? And you're gonna argue with the Lord. You're gonna be like, hey, but I know this thing is okay. Like, there's nothing wrong with video games. Like, there's nothing wrong with this music I'm listening to. There's nothing wrong with this friendship that I have. There's nothing wrong with this activity that I like to do. You're going to wrestle with God, and you're going to be like, it's fine. Like, there's not a verse for this. Like, there's no way that this is a sin. Then you're going to keep living your life, and then the Holy Spirit's going to keep tapping you on the shoulder and being like, hey, I want you to lay this thing down. Okay, when that happens, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at it as a glorious and gracious invitation from God to depend on him more fully and completely. Because it's in those moments where we, it's like, oh, I don't want to let it go. Like, I love this thing. I love this thing. It makes me happy. It's like, yeah, that's exactly why the Lord wants you to lay it down so that you can actually taste real happiness and joy in him. Okay, you with me? You with me? So, while I think this is wise, all this is wise, oh my goodness. Okay, I'm going to blow through this. All right, you guys with me? I had so much to talk about tonight. I didn't look at the clock. One second. Okay. Here we go. Okay, so while I think that question, like, is this a sin? I think that's a wise question. I think you should have some filters in your life where you can, like, walk through, like, specifically, like, your friends are going to go do this thing, and you get a little nudge in your spirit, and you're like, should I do this thing? You should have a process in which you filter these things through. Okay, I think that's wise. But I think there's a better question. Rather than, is this thing a sin? I think we should be asking the question, what is sin? You ever thought about this before? Like, what is sin? Like, what makes something a sin? If you think about it, all sins, all things that we do are one of two things. It's something we consume, either through our our eyes or our mouth, or it's a thing that we do, an action that we do. What makes one action bad and another action good? What makes one thing that we can consume good and another thing that we can consume bad? What makes a thing a sin? Jesus, uh, the Bible, Paul says this in Romans 6, 23. He says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so sin is defined as missing the mark. All right, so this is a term that you would use with an archer, talking about aiming at a target. And instead of aiming and hitting the bullseye, it's like the, the archer completely missed the target altogether, okay? So, so it's, failing to, it's failing to meet a standard, okay? What is the mark? What is the standard? When we sin, what is it that we're falling from? So let's take something that we've all done. Raise your hand. This is a safe space, okay? No judgment. Raise your hand. You've ever lied before. Look at you sinners, dude. Look at you guys. Y'all need Jesus. Y'all need Jesus. Okay. Lying, sin, right? 
Like, we all agree. Lying, sin, doesn't feel good to do it. We know we shouldn't do it. Lying is sin. What, what is the mark that we're missing when, when we lie? Is the goal just that we shouldn't lie? Like, is the standard in life that we should just try to not lie? Or is the standard being a honest person that people can trust, right? Okay, let's take another sin. Idolatry. Idolatry is when you put anything above God. We've all done this before. It's when we've let a love for a sport outweigh our love for God. It's when we've let a devotion to a relationship or a friendship uh, outweigh our, our devotion to God. It's when we um, love a thing more than we love being with God. Okay, idolatry. The sin of idolatry, putting something above God, is the standard that we're missing just not being idolatrous? No. The standard is loving God with our heart, our soul, and our mind, and our strength. Does that make sense what I'm saying? What I'm trying to say is that the goal of the Christian life is not just to walk around and try not to sin. Like, that's not the standard. The standard isn't just walking around hoping we don't fall into lust, idolatry, being impatient, or, or lying, okay? So what's the standard we're aiming for? The standard is a life. It's a person. The standard is Jesus our standard as a follower, a disciple of Jesus, is to live like him. Okay, so I want to zoom out for a second real quick. And let's picture in and zoom in on what Jesus, who Jesus is. Or zoom out and look at what Jesus is, okay? John 1, 1 through 5 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life and life and the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Okay, so Jesus is the what? He is the word. What are words? Words are the manifestation of a thought. Have you ever thought about that? Most of us, before we say something, we think something, right? Now, some of us say things, and then we think about it afterwards. Most of us, we should work on this, all right? Most of us, we think a thing, and then we say it. So, in the beginning, before God spoke and created, he had a what? He had a thought, what was that thought? What was that desire? It was you. It was me. It was creation. It was walking in perfect relationship with humankind. His desire was to be with us. So God, so Jesus took that thought of God the Father and he created. He created the world. He created Adam and Eve. And we know what happens, right? Adam and Eve, they did the thing. They ate from the apple. They fell down. God and man were separated. Well, then God needed a way to get back to his people. So he chooses a new family, Abraham and the Israelites. We've been reading this in our Being Transformed journals, right? He grows up the Israelite people and he gives them the law. What he says is that if you can do everything that's in this law, then you can be holy and you can be made right with me. This was God's desire. They couldn't do it. So the end comes Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So here's what that means, is that Jesus did everything that was in the law that was required to be made right with God. And this is what's called substitutional atonement. And he took the punishment for our sin at the same time so that we can be made right with God. Jesus is the manifestation of the will and the desires of God. Okay, so Jesus is the manifestation of the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament points to him. And then everything in the New Testament is a manifestation of Jesus. Think about it. It's, what is the New Testament? It's the testimony of Jesus, and it's the testimony of his church, which is the body of Christ. Everything in the Bible, here's my whole point. I could have just said this from the beginning. Everything in the Bible is about Jesus. Okay, so when we're reading the Bible, we're not just learning facts. We're not just learning history. Here's what we're learning. We're learning the person of Jesus. We're learning who he is. We're learning how he thinks. We're learning what makes his heart move. We're learning what he likes, what he doesn't like. And it's in this place of intimacy with God that we begin to learn what the standard of God's life is. Okay, so listen. Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, and the life, okay? So the wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. Okay, so let's go back to the garden. You guys still with me? I know I'm just giving you whiplash here. Genesis, all the way back to Revelation, all the things, okay? In the beginning, what was the one thing they couldn't do? They couldn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Did you know that it was never God's desire for Adam and Eve to experience evil? Think about that. It was never God's desire for them to experience good outside of him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The wages of sin is death. There's this beautiful picture in Genesis for our life where we've got before us good and evil. Listen, sin 
produces death in our life, not just because the action of sin itself, but because sin is anything that keeps us from living at the standard of Jesus. We miss the mark of his standard of his wonderfully good life. Sin is anything that keeps us from living like Jesus. Think about it. Jesus lived a perfect life, right? It wasn't perfect just like behaviorally. Like it's not just that he did all the right things. Jesus lived like the perfect life. Jesus is the word. He's the manifestation of the heart of God. So he is the manifestation of what God dreamed a life on earth would look like. Think about that. Like what a model for us is that Jesus lived the perfect life, not just in behavior. And keys, you can come up now. I didn't know if I was supposed to invite them up or not. Jay, do I invite Thomas up? Yeah, Jay's giving me the thumbs up. Think about this. Jesus wasn't just perfect in his behavior, but Jesus was perfect in his connection with God. I believe Jesus was the most content man to ever live. I believe he was the happiest man to ever live because he lived a life perfectly connected with the Father. He lived a life in perfect submission and service to other people. He lived a life free of the need of the approval of the masses. He lived a life free of the death of sin. He lived a life free of the world's strings. Jesus lived the perfect life. If you walk away with anything tonight, I want you to walk away with this. Sin is less about not measuring up as it is about missing out. It's, it's less about just like not being good enough. Because listen, Jesus has already paid the price for your sin. Why do we repent? Repentance is when we sin and we know we've messed up, we turn back to God. Why do we repent? Because God forgives, okay? We're already in salvation, we're already in new covenant. Why do we repent? We repent for, for us. Because it's through that repentance that we go, God, I wanna do things your way again. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes tonight?